Spark, great to see you today. Wonderful to have you here. We are glad that you are, am I, am I good? Okay. And uh, glad you are here for part four of our series, Fighting with Fame. I do want to mention before we jump into the final part of this series, today, Preston just mentioned this on the video, today at four o'clock we have our first step. It's our first, first step. All right, so we'd love to have you a part if you are newer to Forest Park. Love to know how to get involved. If you have questions about how we function around here, uh, you can ask questions live. I'm going to be teaching the class. We'll have some food for you. Also, child care is taken care of as well. All we need you to do is register. Just let us know you're coming so we can be prepared for you. Have a table, have a manual, have the food, have everything ready to go. So if you go to our website, right on the front page, you'll see First Step. Just click it, and then you can register for free, and we will be ready for you today at 4 o'clock in the main lobby, all right? All right, married people, I'm going to talk directly to you today, but if you're not married, this is still going to apply if you're in a dating relationship, or maybe you have been married before and you're considering getting married again, or uh, you can take the principles that we're going to talk about today and you can apply them uh, to friendships. You can also apply them to uh, the parenting relationship with children. Hopefully, if I do a decent job, you'll see how all that connects today. But I want to talk specifically to married people at the very beginning. Uh, guys, when you were dating, do you remember how captivated you were with each other? I mean, no one, right, understood you like she understood you. He was the most kind and gentle man in the world. And eventually, your dating led you to a marriage ceremony where you stood in front of your family and friends and you made a commitment for better or for worse, for richer or poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish so long as you both shall live. And to the best of your ability, you meant every word. You knew you and your spouse had differences. I mean, you were able to spot the differences during your dating life. In fact, maybe some of the differences is what drew you together. But you figured, hey, you know what? These differences will just kind of add some spice to our a relationship, and I kind of find some of the differences a little cute, you know, I kind of find them interesting, and if there's some major differences, we'll work through them, because, you know, love is really all you need anyway. It never crossed your mind that those differences would eventually become the source of immense pain. You never dreamed that those small differences that were attractive when you were dating would eventually become the fuel that would create these arguments and having some heated exchanges that would leave you both shattered at times, going to sleep angry with one another. And after a while, because of so many of the arguments, you wondered how in the world did you fall in love with someone so different from you. Now he seems impatient. Now she seems to just be in a bad mood all the time. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. Two years happened. Two years happened. You may not know this, but the euphoric feeling based on research, based on counseling, based on statistics, tells us in about 24 months, the euphoric feeling of being in love fades away and we snap back to reality. And we realize that the other's personalities, although cute while we were dating, starting to go, I got to live with this person the rest of my life. And it begins to get on your nerves. And some of those little cute differences end up leading to some really bad arguments, painful arguments. Lana and I have many differences. 
In fact, this past Wednesday, we celebrated our 31st wedding anniversary, over three decades of being married. No, no, no applause needed, okay? No applause needed. She, she survived, okay? So you should, you should give her all the accolades, give her the, the applause when, she, when you see her in the hallway, all right? We have learned to work around most of the differences, and there's small differences and there's major differences. Small differences, I, I like to cook. Lana does not enjoy cooking. She never has enjoyed cooking. But I enjoy cooking, so no big deal. You know, we work it out. I hate to budget. I hate to calendar anything. I don't like planning. I don't like budgeting. But she doesn't necessarily love it, but she's very good at it. She's organized. She loves a calendar. She loves budgeting. We get our bills paid. We've been able to dance around my dislikes and her dislikes and my loves and her loves, and we try to complement one another. And most of the differences we can work around, but some differences become so divisive we wound one another. One divisive issue we talked about last Sunday, just kind of introduced it, gave some principles, some truth, in-laws. When your mother-in-law, your father-in-law, or maybe even your parents get involved in your marriage, get involved in your finances, get involved in raising your children, sometimes it's not just a minor difference. It creates a lot of turmoil, a lot of tension, a lot of hurt feelings. Another divisive issue that causes pain, and I see it in my office all the time, and that's, that's money. Who can spend what? Do you need permission to spend this? How much money can we spend without having to talk to our husband or our wife? How much money are we going to save? You know, on and on. Do I continue to work? Do I stay at home, become a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad? How is this going to work? The money argument creates a lot of tension. Another one is sexual relations. Who wants what, when, how, all the different things that go with it. Pain and just all kinds of arguments. Next thing you know, you start out with just disagreeing over a little bit of money or disagreeing over mom getting involved maybe where she shouldn't, and all of a sudden you are arguing to the point you're in a verbal war. And you say some things during the argument you later regret, and before the night is over you are each emotionally exhausted and you end up miserable. Now, I don't know if anybody wants to lift their hand and admit that's happened in your relationship, but I assure you it has happened many times over three decades in my relationship. We have argued and fought over what seemed to be small issues at the beginning, and then we would say things, most of the time I would say things, that would add fuel to the fire, and next thing you know, we are in explosive, painful discussion, okay? So, you know, you can exchange a few details you know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, Scott, I mean, come on. You know, we're just humans. It's not really that big of a deal to argue, is it? Well, yes, we are humans, and no, it's not that big of a deal to have disagreements. We're going to have some disagreements. We're going to have conflict. But I don't know that I would say that it's not a big deal. This is some of the things that I've learned over these 30 years of marriage. Marriage therapist Gary Chapman says arguments can turn into angry exchanges and verbal wars. And when they move from just a conflict into verbal war, or they move into an angry exchange, here are a few things that begin to happen. And some of these happen subtly. They happen behind the scenes. Just kind of a crack in the heart, if you will, a crack in the soul. One of the things is that you create greater emotional distance. You just slowly begin to float away from one another. You just separate ever so slightly at the beginning, and if you don't deal with it, you just begin to drift apart, and you begin to see them as an enemy rather than a friend. Another thing is that each feels that the other person is unreasonable. 
Each feels the other person is irrational. And when you begin to see your spouse as unreasonable, you begin to see your spouse as irrational, it begins to cause, as you can imagine, some very deep problems in the relationship. Another thing that happens is you begin to question. You, you have questions floating around. You may not say it out loud, but you have questions like this floating around. What is his problem? What's her problem? I cannot believe he said what he said. How could she be so cruel? What if I married the wrong person? And when those questions begin to float around and you don't deal with them and you don't have some good answers to them and you don't bring them to the surface, they can slowly begin to fracture the relationship. And again, you create that emotional distance, if you will. Now, on the surface, we think the couple, you know, eh, we're just arguing over our fa my father-in-law, we're arguing over money, or we're arguing over sex. But trust me, it is much deeper than just the surface issues. Couples will go to bed angry. They will go to bed frustrated. Say, well, I'm not married, Scott. Well, you and your friend can have these arguments and distance yourself. You and your children can have them. You and your parents can have them, whatever. And you create because at the heart of a marriage is a relationship. So these same kind of fractures, the issues may be different. The subject matter may be different, but it creates the same kind of fractures, the same kind of distance in any and all kinds of relationships. So you go to bed angry or you hang the phone up angry, you're frustrated. And after, and here's the deal, after a night of sleep, your emotions have calmed down over the night. The sun comes up the next day. You feel better in the morning. So what do we do? Well, it wasn't that big of a deal. We'll let it go. It's a new day. We can start over. And you just kind of move on into work. You move on into the things you got to do. But the fractures that happened, the tears in the relationship, the distance, the drifting continues on. And over time, you're so far apart, how do you ever get back? Okay? So that is one of the problems that we have in marriage. So I want you to imagine... A wife being frustrated. I'm going to kind of show you this in a, in, in a real simple, easy-to-follow illustration. Imagine a wife is frustrated about what she considers her husband's obsession over sports on TV. All right? I mean, he just loves to watch football, let's say. And he just can't wait to get home to watch football. And he wants to cancel any plans he has to to watch football. And she wants to do this or she wants to do that. And he wants to hurry home. He's got to get back at 2 o'clock. He's got to get back here, whatever. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying it creates this tension there. And he feels that he's entitled to watch a game. He works all week. What's the big deal? He just is during the season. And he wants to watch football. She feels that he just doesn't seem to care about her emotions, her time, what she wants to do. He just wants to hurry up and get home and watch football rather than spend time with her so he just pushes on and he's going to watch football when it comes on from now on because they haven't dealt with it each time he tries to enjoy a football game he knows in the back of his mind he's doing something to hurt his wife and it's in the face of her disapproval but he continues on because he feels he's entitled to it he's going to do it but in the back of his mind he knows she doesn't like it and it creates this fracture this tension between them and each time he sits down to watch a game, she's going to think the entire time that he cares more about the game than he does her. So a simple watching of football becomes a fracture, a pushing apart of the relationship. I mean, is that what marriage is about? Argue, fight, say hurtful things, get up the next morning, and move on.
argue, fight, say hurtful things, still watch the game, and she, he thinks she's being silly, and she thinks he's being insensitive, and you move on. And you multiply that week by week, month by month, year by year, and you are so far apart in your relationship, you can barely see one another in the distance. I mean, is that what you walk down the aisle for? Is that when you stood before your family and friends and said, I do, and for sickness and, and sickness and in health and for richer, for poor, for better, for worse, keeping myself only to you as long as we both shall live and I will love you and honor you and respect you and all the things that we said on our wedding day, is that what we did? This is what we wanted at the end of that? We go to bed angry, we wake up the next morning, shake the emotions off, and go on with our day. Is that God's vision for marriage? Now, before we get into answering those questions, I want to discuss the whole concept of arguing within marriage. And before I get into this, I just want you to know this. I have messed this up, what I'm getting ready to tell you, so many times in 31 years of marriage. If we could go back and look at when I was 21, 22, 23, 25, 30, 35, and how I use these next few minutes that I'm going to talk to you, how I use this in my relationship with Lana, and you could see how many times I failed, how many times I screwed up, you would see that this is not coming from any kind of ivory tower position looking down on anybody. This is coming from a heart that wants to do the best I can to help other people in any kind of relationship who might be experiencing this because I know the tears that follow, I know the pain that follows, I know the tension that can get in a relationship, and you don't want it. And if you are just starting out in your relationship, listen, okay? If you are in a marriage, if you're in any kind of dating relationship, if you're in a friendship and some of these things kind of, well, it's not marriage, but yet I can see how it's connected, listen carefully and begin to follow the truth that I'm going to give you, and you'll see how much it'll bring hope and help and strength and encouragement to you, okay? Here it is. I want to discuss arguing within marriage and how hurtful and damaging arguing can be, all right? So first, let's talk about what argue, the whole concept of what argue means. Gary Chapman clarifies the word argue this way. He says, argue is a word best understood in the legal arena, where attorneys present arguments to show a defendant is either guilty or not guilty. Arguments are statements made by the attorneys based on available evidence. They are designed to appeal to a jury's sense of logic and reason. Now, if you know anything about the Enneagram, and we're going to talk about the Enneagram a little bit further into the year, then I'm a five on the Enneagram. Out of the nine personalities, I'm a five. A five is an investigator. A five is an information collector. A five bases a lot of his or her conversation and interest levels on logic and on reason. I have always been really good at arguing. In fact, I can take your argument and pick it apart and kind of drop it on the floor and then put together my argument and make you feel really stupid. And I have used that tactic many times in my marriage. Because I thought when I got into a discussion with Lana 
that the goal was to prove that I am right. So I would collect all the information that I could collect and all the evidence that I could collect and all the available witnesses that I needed, and I would lay out a case, and when she would see the case and she would realize that I was correct, she would humble herself and she would say, You have won, almighty husband, the smart one, the intelligent one, the one that has proven to me beyond any reasonable doubt that you are correct. And I love you and I respect you because of your intelligence. I'm going to have you know that didn't work out that way, okay? Let me say it again. Arguments are statements made by attorneys based on available evidence designed to appeal to a jury's sense of logic and reason. And in a courtroom, arguments are perfectly permissible. Why? Courtrooms provide environments where arguments are the best course of action. In a marriage, however, arguments are not permissible. I did not understand that. I'm talking about for years, I did not get that. I thought it was my goal to be right because I wanted to fight for truth. I wanted to fight for what is objectively correct. And I wanted to prove my case. And if that meant tearing down her argument to erect my argument, in the end, it didn't really matter because the end justified the means as long as we got to the truth. And it didn't really matter who was right or wrong, although I was right. It didn't really matter if I could, you know, the evidence she could collect because I always collected more information than she could. And at the end, and, you know, the, the smoke cleared, if there was anybody standing, I would be standing. But in a marriage, that's the wrong approach. Why? When you choose to argue with your spouse, you are choosing to use a judicial system to convince your spouse of the truth of your position rather than a love system to serve and nurture your spouse. When you enter into a relationship with a husband, with a wife, or even with a friend, parents, children, whatever, we are not to reach and grab the judicial system and apply its uh, tactics and its um, um, ways of thinking and its methods. We are to reach and grab from the love system. When you choose to argue with your spouse, you're grabbing the tools of a judicial system rather than from a love system. And this works great in a system where emotion, judicial system works great in a system where emotion is not valued, where love is unnecessary, where cold hard facts are most important. Because folks, let's face it, if someone's on trial and you happen to be an attorney, do you really care whether or not the person feels whether a person has certain emotions in the moment, you're trying to get to the truth. If this person committed a crime, we got to make sure we prove this, let emotions sit aside. We don't care about it. It's objective. Who is right? Who is wrong? Who's going to go to jail? Who's going to get off? Let's, we don't care about anything other than truth. I just want the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Perfect in a court of, court of law. 
perfect in the judicial system. And for years, that's the system I used in my marriage. But very, very poor in a marriage relationship. Why? Because relationships are different. Relationships are built on compromise. You don't compromise in a judicial system. Relationships are built on trust. Relationships are built on love. Relationships are built on grace. Relationships are built on mercy. Cold, hard facts do not live well within warm, soft relationships. You see, when you enter into an argument with your your spouse, you have one goal, to win. We want our side to win and want the other side to lose. In an argument, there is one winner and there is one loser. And no one wants to lose. Everybody wants to win, so it becomes a battle. It becomes a fight. Who is going to mount the most evidence? Who is going to have the best argument? Who is going to win? When the smoke clears, when the battle is over, someone's got to be standing, and you are going to be the one standing. And for years, when I entered into an argument with Lana, I had one goal. I had to prove I am right, and as a byproduct, I had to prove she is wrong. And it took me years to figure out that even when I succeeded, and I succeeded a lot, even when I succeeded and I proved I was right and I proved she was wrong, in a court of law, I would have been heralded as a hero But in the eyes of the one I have committed my life to, I became a zero. And I didn't get that for a long time. Many, many times when the argument was over and I had the evidence and I picked apart her argument and I laid it all on the ground and I was the one winning and I was like, I won, I won. And I'm waiting for the applause Nobody applauded. Sometimes winning is the fastest way to lose. And it's taken me a long time to figure that out. And you know what, Lana, if you talk to her, I I advise you not to. You might hear more than you need. Many, many times she has actually said to me, she said to me, you know, will you ever let me win? And I would say, well, you know, it's not really about winning. Now, now not only am I tearing my wife down, I'm lying too. Let's be honest, okay? There is no other reason to exchange, to, excuse me, to engage in an argument but to win the argument. What idiot enters into an argument for the purpose of losing it? Nobody. So when we get into the argument, the only reason we're in it is because we want to make sure we win it. And here are the possibilities. Here are the the downsides, if you will, of getting into this argument exchange. All right. Let's imagine that you win the first argument. And it could be as simple as going out to eat somewhere. And then you win the second argument about what you're going to do on a Saturday. If you're going to go to the beach or you're going to stay home and work in the yard or whatever. Then you win the third argument. Then you win the fourth argument. I mean, you're good. You're just good. You're good at speaking, you're good at communicating, you're good at mounting evidence, you're just good. And you win, and you win, and you win. Here's the subtle thing going on in your mind and in your heart. You know, I married 
a loser. I'm smarter than she is. I have better ideas than she does. I'm just overall better than she is. Or it could be the other way. I'm just better than he is. Now you've married a loser. How do you think that, cr- what distance does that create slowly? All right, let's say that you, you lose and your spouse wins. And you just, you just quit. You just quit arguing. You just, you, he wins, he wins, he wins, or she wins, she wins, she wins. Now, what is the subtle thing going on inside? You realize you're a loser. And no one likes to feel like a loser. So now your self-esteem goes down. Now you think, well, how, how, why would he love me? I'm so stupid. I can't win anything. Now let's say that you just argue and argue and argue until you both just quit. You just, it's a draw. You just go to bed mad. She's mad, you're mad. You pull the covers, she pulls the covers. You slam the door, she slams it louder. Nobody wins. You both are losers. So is there a fourth way? Is there a way in the middle of all of this where you both can win? Yes. But it is going to take some real searching, some genuine honesty, some bringing the truth to the top and looking at it for what it is. And I'm telling you, I don't expect you to walk out of here today and everything in your entire life be different because you heard this message. But my hope is that it will begin to sink in and somehow the truth will begin to get down into your heart. And over time, that truth will set you free from yourself and free to love the way we've been called to love. James chapter 4. I want you to imagine you're in an argument with your husband or your wife, and you guys are just going at it. It could be about anything, simple, but it has progressed to something that's pretty ugly, and you're just fighting. And all of a sudden, the apostle James steps into your living room or into your bedroom or sits down in, in your car with you or your truck, and he asks you this question. James chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. What is the source well I'll I'll tell you what the source is I want to go get pizza and she wants to go get Mexican food and I'm tired of getting Mexican food because every single Sunday we go get Mexican food and she wants to get pizza and I didn't I mean I want to get pizza what's the source of your conflict what's the source of well you know what every summer we go to the beach and I'd like to go to the mountains this summer but she wants to go to the beach and I'm tired of her and her family always winning what's the source of your conflicts Well, she thinks she can spend money anywhere she wants, and I work all week, and I think we need to save more money. What's the source of your conflict? James says, I know what it seems like the conflict is. I know what it is on the surface. Very next verse, I love this. Don't, don't, Don't they come from your cravings that are at war in your own lives? Hey, 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 Scott. Don't, don't worry about what Lana wants. It isn't, isn't the fact that you're arguing with her right now, forget about the fact she wants this food and she wants to go here for vacation and she wants to spend money there or, or this about your kids. No, forget that. Isn't the truth that this arguing and fighting is coming from inside of you? What do you mean, James? Well, you, you long for something you, you don't have. So you commit murder. Whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. I, I'm not murdering anybody here. 
I'm just tired of her always getting her way when it comes to this or it comes to that. Well, I know, but you let that continue on, and ultimately you'll hate her or you'll hate him. And you remember Jesus said that that real murder is when you have hate in your heart? The murder is just the outward manifestation of what's already inside. And when you hate your brother, you've actually already killed him. In the truth, you're, you're jealous for something you can't get. So you struggle and you fight. Hey, Scott, let's, let's be honest, okay? You're, you're fighting with Lana right now because she wants this and you want that. She wants Y and you want X. She wants B and you want C. But that, that really isn't it, is it? Because, I mean, you don't really care about the food. I mean, you, you eat a lot. You like food. You don't care where you go, really. What's it really about? <laughs> it's about the food. No, it's not. No, 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 no. What's it really about? <laughs> you know, I just don't think, what, that I, I think I ought to be respected. Exactly. You see, you have this desire inside to be respected. And you want her to respect you, and you don't think you're getting the respect you deserve. So you quarrel and fight over what you think you deserve. See, that's really coming from you, not from her. Now listen, if she's not giving you respect, and she's being disrespectful, or he's being disrespectful to you, and he's not respecting you and honoring you, that's a whole nother issue. But let's talk about you. You see, you're, you're, you're jealous because she's not loving you the way you think you deserve to be loved. She's not treating you the way you deserve to be treated. And listen, she might not. That's a whole other issue. He might not. That's a whole other issue. But you long for something and you're not getting it. So hatred develops. You're jealous for something and you're not getting it. So you go, you know what? If you're not going to give it to me, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to struggle and I'm going to fight until you give it to me. Because it's mine and I deserve it. You see, James says fights and quarrels erupt from a desire that's way down deep inside of us to get something that we currently do not possess. So we argue and fight in an effort to gain something, respect, acceptance, love, honor. And our spouse, and here's what's interesting, our spouse is looking to you to provide for him or her what she thinks she wants, respect, acceptance, love, esteem. And you're looking to her to give you what you think you deserve. And at the same time, you're fighting and you're arguing to get from the other person what you think you deserve. So we enter into this fight or argument to get from each other, and that's the problem. We're both trying to get what we think we deserve from one another, and then James drops the mic when he says this. You don't have because you don't ask God. Now, folks, for a long time when I read that, I thought it was kind of an afterthought. You know, 
he was just kind of going through this and he's like, you know what, you ought to go to God and, and ask him to give you the pizza, you know, or the, the car or the vacation, you know. I mean, God, God's a good father, so he'll give you what it is you want. No, 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 no. That was the whole point of what James was saying. You see, the fights and the quarrels happen because we start at the wrong place. I am going to get respect, and I'm going to go get it from Lana. No, 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 stop, stop. She doesn't have the ability to solve your deepest soul needs. He doesn't have the ability to accept you at the soul level. She's just a flawed human being. He's a flawed human being. You, you need to get the love and the respect and the self-esteem and the peace and the joy and all the things that your soul craves first from him. And then from what you receive, guess what? You give rather than go get. You see, in essence, we are trying to get from our husbands and our wives what only God can give. But imagine if instead of going to our spouse to get what he or she doesn't have, we go to God to receive only what he can provide, and then out of his supply, we then focus on giving rather than getting. You see, when you and I are confident of God's love and we are confident of God's acceptance and we are at peace with God and we have nothing to prove rather than fighting for respect and fighting for honor and fighting for love and fighting for acceptance with our spouses, we then give those things instead. Can you imagine if both husband and wife were on the same page to give rather than get? Can you imagine the joy and the fun and the peace? you could experience. Now listen, okay, very carefully. I, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that couples can exist together without conflict. I'm not really trying to set up this idealistic perfection where you never argue, you never have conflict. That's not, that's not, that's not reality. You put two unique people together in the same home, living in the same space, trying to share the same intimate time together, you're going to have conflict. I know somebody's going to leave the toothpaste out and take the cap off and it's going to spill on the sink and somebody's got to clean it up. Somebody's going to snore so loudly you can't watch the next episode of Grey's Anatomy. You know, somebody, somebody's going to forget to do the dishes. Somebody's not going to take the trash out. Somebody's going to spend too much money. It's going to happen. Somebody's going to feel bad one day. Somebody is not going to want to give a hug or talk or whatever. It's going to happen. You're going to have disagreements. You will have differences. You will have tension. That isn't always bad. So the goal is not to rid yourself of conflict. Some conflict is good and healthy. The tension moves you on. Sometimes you get tired of living where you're living and you want to go somewhere else and somebody has a suggestion and somebody at the beginning says, well, I don't want to sell my house or I don't want to move. And then you have a conversation. There's some tension. Then somebody says, Here's a good idea, and you make a decision. Sometimes the conflict pushes you to education or pushes you to have more children or not have a child. Sometimes the conflict is necessary to move life along. Nobody is saying you shouldn't have conflict. You're going to. But when God's spirit is at the center of that relationship, 
out of a spirit-lived life come the fruit of the spirit, which is love in the middle of the conflict, joy in the middle of the conflict, self-control and meekness and temperance and all the different things that come from the fruit of the spirit is at the center of that relationship. Unfortunately, too many times during an argument, the spirit of God and working together with the spirit of God are the farthest things from our mind. We just want to get what we think in the moment we deserve. So we fight and we quarrel. Now, if you're with us in the first part of this series, you heard me talk about it, and I'm sure all of you are here and all of you remember every word I said in the first series part. So I'm, I'm sorry to be redundant and to bore you with the details again. But in part one of this, weeks ago, I introduced that whole concept of cruciform love cruciform love that is love in the shape or the form of the cross it's sacrificial love it's giving love and you remember that I said when you're up against a conflict when you're in a disagreement when you're in a tension one of the best questions you can ask is in that moment just stop and just say what does cruciform love right now require of me how can I love like I've been loved. What does love require of me right now? There is no disagreement, there is no argument, there is no fight that would not significantly be reduced or changed if you honestly answered that question and then followed through. Cruciform love seeks the good of the other person first, seeks to serve the other person first, seeks to affirm the other person first, seeks to help the other person first. Conflict can be resolved when we affirm our spouse and his or her needs rather than trying to get our spouse to affirm our needs. So instead of going to our spouse to get what we believe we deserve and what we want, we go to our spouse in order to give them what they need. That is the key. Well, Scott, I, I don't know that I can do that. I'm not so sure I can do that. You can't. Let me give you one last verse. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Listen to what Paul writes here in Philippians. Robbie, just give me that verse, Philippians 2. Next, there you go. Back it up one time. There we go. Back it up again. There we go. Therefore, if, if there is any encouragement, any encouragement whatsoever in Christ, any comfort in love, any sharing in the Spirit, any sympathy, complete my joy. Next screen complete my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, being united and agreeing with each other. Don't do anything for selfish purposes. Wow. There it is. That's cruciform love. Don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility, think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. Can you imagine the difference in relationships if we live that way? Just imagine taking that whole concept and applying it to where are we going to go eat? How about painting a room in our house? 
How about watching a movie? How about taking care of the kids? How about cleaning the house? How about yard work? How about vacation? How about how we spend money all the way through? Can you imagine? How much of a difference would it make in your marriage if over and over and over this week you ask questions like this? Last thing I'm going to put up for you. Here's the questions. Give me the last screen. There we go. What does my spouse need from me? And how can I value his or her needs above mine? Now, folks, I'm standing here in the middle of a marriage. I know that it's not easy. I know when you put two people together, you know, one of the beautiful things about being married a long time is you learn the quirks and you learn the weaknesses and you learn the strengths of one another. But also one of the challenges of being married a long time is that you know the strengths and you know the weaknesses and you know the quirks of each other. And you know how to manipulate them. And you know what hurts. And you know what you can say to shut the conversation down if you don't want to go through it. And you also kind of have learned and you've grown so much over 30 years of marriage that if you're not careful, you become two different people and you just share a house. So I'm not saying anything that I've said here today because I've got it all figured out. Why do you think I put it in this message? Because here are the things that I've learned over time that we really need to walk it out. Here are the things that I know that will save you from coming into an office or going to a counselor and saying, it's over, there's nothing else we can do. Sometimes that is what happens because we drift so far apart, it's almost impossible to bridge the gap. We love, we love, we love when we say things like, the truth shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Well, folks, what I've given you today is truth. And as we follow it, and as we work it, and as we allow it to work in us, we can begin to walk free from fighting and arguing and quarreling. All right? Let's pray. Father, we bring ourselves to you today as we are. I'm so tired of all the masks that church people wear and all the pretending that church people do. The fact is, we are just people. People in need of a Savior every single moment of every day. We are imperfect fathers, imperfect mothers, imperfect wives, imperfect husbands, imperfect friends. We have imperfect parents, imperfect children. In fact, not only are we imperfect, Father, we're just at times sinful. We're selfish, we're manipulative. Sometimes we're not honest. Sometimes we just fight and argue because we just want our way. Father, I want this message today not to be a message of condemnation, but to be a message of revelation, that we can see the truth about how we act, the truth about how we behave, the truth about how we hurt one another, and we bring the truth to you. And in a spirit of repentance, we say, here we are, and some of us and parts of us are just ugly. And Father, we're asking you to cleanse us and wash us and renew us. We're asking you to speak truth deep into us and let the truth change us from the inside out. 
We need a Savior every day. Help us see him and follow him and be spirit-led, not flesh-led, but spirit-led into truth and into freedom. In the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, guys, before you go, this Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock is sanctuary right here. For 7 to 8. This is the time where we come together, have a couple people on stage, probably one instrument, maybe two. We sing songs. We have a time of prayer. No preaching, no teaching, no big agenda. It's just a time for you to press pause in the middle of your week and come just sit right here in the auditorium and just sing. You can walk, you can stand, you can sit, you can do whatever you want. For one hour, we just do it together. And we just reflect and we just enter into a moment of worship. That's where I'm going to be, 7 o'clock this coming Tuesday evening, right here. I'd love to have you join me this Tuesday. I hope you have an incredible day. Thank you so much for being with us. We'll see you soon.